0: So, we are going to be talking about family today. Uh, So, I think a lot of us have had experience. Am I still muted? I don't need two mics, do I? How's that? All right. Uh, That's the whole uh, offering prayer threw me off. Um, So, I think we all come from a family, so we can all relate to this, hopefully. And uh, this really is, I mean, I could talk about this subject and I have like, um, sometimes the Lord prompts me with something and I'll write down a whole thing and and uh, I've uh, prompted, been prompted by the Lord on this subject once before and wrote like this whole long outline that could have been like a... 40 part series. <laughs> so, I'm going to try and boil it down to one thing today. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm trying to pull up my scriptures because they didn't print out correctly. But So, this is just an introduction, and this isn't all I could say on the subject. Um, but John Gray did a really good job setting us up for, for this today um, when he talked about outcasts becoming a part of the family. And if you weren't here for that, you didn't get a chance to listen to that. I pray, you know, I urge you to go back to. You can find it on our website. Um, you can find it on our Spotify. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Um, and we didn't plan that, by the way. That was totally the Holy Spirit that uh, aligned our sermons today. This is just an introduction. It should get us warmed up to the idea that we need to rethink some things. Um, so if we go to our outline, the first thing I'm going to be talking about today is how family, the model of a family, comes from God. It's, it's baked into God's character, who he is. Okay? It's not something that we invented as human beings. Right? We didn't discover it. We didn't come up with it. Uh, it's not a novel idea. It's been around for eternity. And because of that, and because everything God does comes out of who he is, uh, the model of the family is how God wants his mission to be fulfilled. How he wants us, well, why did God create us? It's around family. okay. That's how deeply this goes. That's that's what I'm saying. Family's a good thing, and it's from God, and it's used by God. Also, if you're not convinced that that's true, um, all of Scripture uses family language. That's how God ta- talks in Scripture. He uses family language all the time. We're going to see that. I'm going to show you all the verses, not all of them. Uh, we'd be here too long, but. I'm going to show you how that's used in scripture and also that there are ideas in scripture that just do not make sense unless you presuppose or you assume or you understand family. Like there there are things that God commands us to do in the Bible that don't make sense unless you understand what family looks like. And so if you don't get it, if you don't get family, you're going to have a really hard time understanding God. Because again, it comes out of his character. It's who he is. And if he's commanded us to do something, we don't understand family, we're not going to understand God. So then finally, that's going to be our mandate, is to think about how we relate to the church in family terms, which is going to be really hard for us, because again, this is not only is this something difficult in our human nature to understand, it's something difficult for people in our culture to understand. If there's one big blight on the Western culture or the American culture, it's how bad we are about family. Divorce rates, um, abortion, uh, you know, single parents that are left alone to parent their children. That's anti family, anti God. So we'll get into this. So God's character. Mission mandate as a family model. First off, um, we're going to talk about this big theological idea called uh, the eternal generation of the Son, and that's uh, a little confusing, maybe. Uh, but I'll try and explain it. So we know through Scripture that the Father, there's God, is one, right? But then there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know that. Three persons, one being. Um, I'm not going to try and help you understand that because that's a divine mystery that it's difficult to, to grasp. But in that, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. So by eternal generation, I mean that Jesus Christ was always the Son of the Father, always. you know and that's hard for us to grasp because you guess what? you don't have a, a son until he's born, <laughs> and you existed before your son if you have a son. but that it's not that way in the Trinity amongst God. God the Son was always the Son. So what I'm saying here is... Family is an eternal idea. It's always existed. There's always been a sense of family. So if we want to read, go into to First John. I'm gonna to have to pull these up on my phone. So let's turn to First John. Or John 1, sorry, not first John. <laughs> All right. In the beginning was the Word. So, in the beginning was the Word. It already existed. When the beginning happened, the Word was already there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Down to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Down to 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the father's side. He has made him known. And if we, if we take time and think about this, um, this is just proof of the The Son came from the Father, and the Son was with the Father at the beginning of time. Okay, they were always eternally existing as Father and Son. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the thing I want to point out here is the eternal spirit. Again, the spirit, a part of the trinity, eternally existed. And if we go to Genesis, it says uh, in Genesis, let's make man in our image. Okay, so this was all just to say that the trinity has always existed in community with itself. And then if we go to John 18, 11, there's characteristics about how they existed together, right? Um, they didn't just exist, you know, being cold and distant to each other, right? I think sometimes we get this idea of, like, before God brought people along, there were, you know, people brought the emotions along with them. They brought the uh, characteristics of community with them. Like, before humans were created, before God created man, um, there was, like, no enjoying each other going on. I think we get that idea. Like, God was this Guy, cold guy sitting in the cosmos, lonely, just waiting. Maybe not even lonely, just stoic, just like how the planets exist in space right now. I think we have that idea sometimes. At least I've had that idea sometimes. But the Trinity, again, if there's anything that's true and good in us that we experience, it's always existed for eternity in God. And this is important to understand because, one, God didn't need us for praise and worship and love. Like if, if we didn't come along, God would still be experiencing love. So he didn't need us. He doesn't need us. He created us to, to give love because he had so much love, he, he just wanted to pour it out on other people, you know, and who better to pour it out on than, than us, who really don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about why would anyone, uh, if you know what it takes to be a parent of a, of a baby, why would anyone sign up for that deal, right? You know, why would you sign up to uh, be waking up in the middle of the night for a very long time, um, change poopy diapers to, uh, you know, I've, some of the things I remember even as a kid saying to my parents, I'm like, they don't deserve these words. I've never given them one thank you uh, my entire life for all the sacrifices they've done. Why would anyone sign up for this? Right? And a baby's not very good at loving back, okay? Again, they don't give you words of affirmation. They don't give you quality time. A baby's never bought me anything, never given me a gift, unless you call what's in a diaper a gift, which I don't. Why would anyone sign up for this? And I've come to the conclusion because you have so much love, you want to pour it out on someone. You know, and who better to pour it out on than babies, than your children? It's baked into us. You know that however many people I've known that um, in their younger years were like, I'm never going to be a parent. uh, They always end up being parents. Why? Because it's baked into us. Because we were made in God's image and that was baked into God's character. He loved us so much. He brought us into the world. And just how, you know, to a baby... Uh, it seems like we never sleep because we're always there when they're awake. Uh, God really doesn't ever sleep. He's always there listening and watching for us. So John 18, 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink? The cup that the Father has given me. So Jesus is about to go to the cross, which for us it we like to think of it as it's a pretty bad situation because he's going to suffer some, like he's going to suffer some physical pain, right? But I like to think of it; it, it means much, much more to me when I th- I think about at the cross. Um, God the father turned his face away from the son. Okay. This is like if you are a parent, this is or a child. Imagine this we've all been children at some point, so maybe that's more relatable. So imagine you're a child with a great need and you go to your parents and they turn their face from you. What's worse? Whatever pain that you were experiencing that caused you to go to your parents, or your parent turning their face from you. And this isn't a blight on God the Father. This is a testament to Christ's obedience because he knew that's what was going to happen. He knew he loved the Father so much and was so self sacrificing to the Father. And God loved us so much that he was willing to go to the cross and have the Father turn his face from him. So this is what has eternally existed amongst the Trinity, this type of sacrifice and obedience to each other. Right? So, God's character is also generational, and uh, to prove that, let's go back to Hebrews. Now, and this is, a, this is a, maybe a little bit of a complex idea, so if you are struggling with these verses, I per, you, know, you can go read uh, what other people have to say on it, but I'll try doing my best to explain it. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, you know, the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the thing I want to pull out here is, although he was a son, he learned learned obedience through what he suffered. And when I read this first, I was like, whoa, what? How How does God learn anything? I thought he was omniscient. Well, he is omniscient. right? And so... To mind this out, to, to understand this, we have to understand what he was learning. And uh, what Christ was learning was, so Christ being God was omniscient, but he was also fully man and fully flesh at this point. Right? He came down and was made flesh. And so in that process, he went through he learned suffering in a way that he shared that experience with us. Let's put it that way. Okay, um, this is not the Bible contradicting itself, but the point here I want to I want to make is that's how fathers and sons relate to each other. That's how families relate to each other is a passing on of knowledge. There has to be learning going on. I mean, like even, even Christ, the Son of God, God himself, learned. You know, he didn't need to learn, but he learned for our sakes, to show us. That he went through suffering as well. So that we could learn. And that's a hard one. If you want to talk more about this later, we can we can talk about it. Um, I'm going to skip John 12. we We're going to go on to the next section here. So all of scripture uses family language. Right? Um, this was a big convincer for me. Uh, because... If God's going to talk about us as if we're a family, then I need to think about us as if we're a family. And again, this is relating to the church. How, are we going to th- how do we think? We should think how God thinks. right? We should think how the Bible's laid out. And if God thinks in terms of family, we should think in terms of family. So Matthew 12, 48 through 50. This is Jesus speaking. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is saying here is he's trying to help his disciples understand and reframe um, their ideas about who the who the family is. Okay? And again, this is one of those ideas that presuppose an idea of a good, healthy family. Like this culture, the Jewish culture. They got it. They understood what family looked like. We don't. So he's not saying that family acts differently amongst the church. He's saying he's trying to help them reframe who their family is. Okay. Um, So we need to find out what the family looks like. and and Unfortunately, that's not like something I want to get bogged down in too much. I think that's a journey we all have to go on. our whole lives, is understanding what family looks like. And there's lots of books. There's lots of, you know, like I said, I could do a whole series on this of what the family looks like and how it operates, and maybe I will. Uh, but right now, I just want to convince you that you need to rethink what you think about family and who family is. So here Jesus is using family language. Our next note here is, is in the New Testament alone, the word brothers, and by brothers, um, again, this is a cultural thing that brothers often meant brothers and sisters, okay? So, don't think it's like just the bros on Saturday or whatever. When brothers is mentioned in scripture, it's brothers and sisters. That's how they spoke. That's how their language was set up. Um, It's used 112 times in the New Testament, it's used six times by Paul in the last two chapters of 1 Corinthians. Like, for, for such a unique word, it's used a whole lot. Because Paul is speaking to the church. And he always thought about the church as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there's still, you know, I've... Been to lots of different church communities, and a thing that comes up often is, you know, there's certain church communities who have taken up to uh, calling each other brother and sister, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and And that's great. That should remind us of the family that we're, like, we really are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's jump down to Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The the unique difference here um, between being a slave and being an, an adopted child. Uh, I think it's interesting, it's adopted child. So one, you can't say the difference is, well, you know, a child is born by this father, right? You know, ad- adopted child is not born, this is not their natural parent, okay? So what they have in common with a slave is um, they're both subject to whoever is ruling the household, Right. If you're a slave, you listen to whoever's over the household. And if you're a child, you should listen to whoever's over the household. That's how it goes. Um, But the Lord isn't about slavery, he's about adoption. And the unique thing here is a child knows what the father's will is, like what the father's mission is, what the father's heart is. Um, the child has the freedom to ask their parent why. The child lives in communion with the father in a way that the father's setting him up to be a successor. To give him all of what he has so he knows what's go, what, what mission he's to carry on with his future. So, that's again, family language is being children of God. Uh, if you go further down, it says that we're heirs, co heirs of God. And that's that idea of like when, like all that is God's, he wants to give us. And that's another thing, again, if we're talking about what our culture doesn't get, is how many parents, you know, leave their children anything when they pass in our culture. Because of their financial planning or whatever they do, uh, a lot of things aren't passed on to children these days. People don't have an inheritance to gain uh, as their parents pass away or as they get older. But that's a biblical idea, is to set up something for your children to have when you leave. And God thinks that way. He thinks, here, I'm going to give you everything I have. All of it. All of who I am, my image, my identity, where I live, like, you're going to have it. You're going to partake in it. Um, So here's a couple ideas that... So that's just straight-up language. Like, we get it. Like, wherever there's... In Scripture, it says brothers and sisters or children. He's talking about family. He's talking about us. That's easy to understand. But here's some ideas that just don't make sense unless we think about family. So Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Again, so there's the language, straight up language. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Uh, When you serve someone through love, there's kind of an expectation this isn't like a monetary interaction. You're not making an exchange here. You're just doing something for someone. No guarantee that they're going to repay you. Right? That doesn't make sense unless you understand what family looks like. Again, how many of us have been children and our parents have done so much for us and we've never paid them back? How many of us think we could never pay our parents back? I certainly think so, right? And the same goes with my siblings. There's things that my siblings have done for me that I will never be able to pay back. Not in kind. It won't be the same. That's a unique idea that doesn't make sense unless you've lived it, unless you've experienced it. That, that's the kind of thing that looks silly to the world, right? People look from the outside and say, you're just going to give away things for free for this person who's never going to thank you. Uh, why would you do that? And our culture is starting to believe that, right? People are isolating themselves from other people. They're uh, refusing to have children because why would I give up my career or my hopes and dreams For a baby who's never going to thank me. We won't get it unless you experience it. Unless you get that God's done that for us. So service is one of those assumptions in scripture. Or it's one of those things commanded in scripture. That you have to assume family. You have to assume a family model. Another one here is leaders. So 1 Timothy For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This is a pretty direct one. It says that leaders need to be good parents. Because it's the same thing. Being a leader in the church should be the same thing as being a parent. Again, you're laying down your life for someone who's probably never going to thank you, right? Who could never understand how many sacrifices you've made. And if you want to talk about leadership as well, um, how we relate to leaders is how we should relate to parents. Sometimes your parents do say to you, Uh, because I said so. (laughs) And not, we shouldn't just like take some person's word for that, even a leader. We should say, their words should be because the Bible says so, right? And you can go to the Bible and say, oh yeah, it does say so. So I guess I'll just listen to it even though I don't really understand it fully yet. You know, whenever my parents made a decision on where to move or something like that, I just followed their lead, (laughs) Because they had a lot more years and a lot more experience. And guess what? They were using their money to pay for the house. So (laughs) leadership is one of those things like we don't get in our culture. We don't get how to respond to bosses or people in the church. You know, we don't understand respect. We don't understand how to follow someone as they lead us. Because, honestly, we've been bad children, too. You know, we didn't know how to follow our parents' leads. We we don't care for what they have for us. We hear, here's your inheritance, and we say, no, I don't want your inheritance. I want to make my own way. Right? There's the classic family or movie trope of uh Father has this giant business he wants to give to his son, and his son says, no, I need to go be an artist, or whatever. You know, (laughs) I need to follow my dreams. Um, this This is, again, this idea that you can't understand how to interact with leaders unless you understand family. And you can't understand how to lead unless you understand family and what it looks like to lead, right? You know, if you're supposed to lead like you lead a family, um, that means you got to be a lot more patient. You've got to be patient with children. How are you going to lead children if you aren't patient, unless you gain their hearts? You know, it's not a good way to interact with children to yell at them. You probably shouldn't yell if you're leading people, right? There's a lot of nuances here, and we can unpack all, all of that means, but I just wanted to say, like, you can't understand this idea unless you under, think about it in terms of family. And same goes for loyalty here. First John 3.16. It really is First John this time. By this, by this, we know love. This is a way we know love. That he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That doesn't make sense, to give up your life for someone. Again, this is sacrifice. This is loyalty It doesn't make sense to lay down your life for someone unless they're your brother or your sister, unless they're a part of your family because our life can be summed up in in our mission, what we're going to do with our life in a way, um, not our value but our You know, as Christians, if we die, we live, we go and spend eternity with the Lord, right? Um, so some of us would be tempted to say, yeah, I'd be better off just going to heaven, right? Like, I, I can't wait to leave this earth and go to heaven. That's a temptation. I've heard a lot of Christians say that. I can't wait to leave this earth and go to heaven. But God gave us life, not so that we'd just end up in heaven, but that we would have a mission here on, on earth, that we do something with our life. That's why he gave us life. You know, um, again, going back to the example of parents with children, a child who doesn't really do anything with their life is no less valuable to a parent. But every parent has hopes and dreams that their children would do something great. That they'd be world changers. Right? That's why, again, there's a, the trope of parents who drive their children too hard to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something, right? Because they have hopes and aspirations for their children. And where that's an incorrect idea, the correct idea is God really does want us to do something with the precious life he's given us here on earth. And so if we lose our life, we're losing that ability to do something here on earth, right? So to give that up, to sacrifice that precious life that God's given you, It means you're, you'd only give that up for someone who had the same mission as you, <laughs> right? If it's such a precious thing to God that he gave you a life to do something with, you'd only give it up for someone who's going to do something with their life. We talked about this at RCF the other night, using the example of, of you know, say you're like a real, you're just really screwed up and you know, like you got yourself in a really tough situation. Maybe you were like gambling a bunch and now these uh, this hit man's coming after you to collect his money. Uh, and you got yourself into this awful situation by your own sin and mistakes and faults. And so you're in this awful situation. You're about to die. And your brother who loves you and, you know, maybe he didn't make those same mistakes. He's like real successful or whatever, he steps in and gives his life for you, steps in front of a bullet for you. Right? He loses his life, and you gain yours. Are you going to say, thanks for giving me my life, I'm going to go back and get into more debt and do more gambling, I'm going to waste what you just gave me. Or are you going to say, this is what my brother dedicated his life to. He just gave me life. I'm going to dedicate my life to it. That's what it looks like laying down your life for a brother or sister. That's what Christ did for us. He didn't die on the cross for us so that we'd have the freedom to waste our life. All right, that goes back to the idea of you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could do whatever you wanted to and spend your life however you wanted to. He gave his life for you because he he wanted to see you advance God's kingdom. He wanted to see you preach the good news. He wanted to see you love on people. He wanted to see you sacrifice for other people to show other people who God is. He laid down his life for you so that you could lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in the church. So here's some ideas to take away for us how we we can apply this. Um, And again, I got... I could talk about this a whole lot, and that's probably why this sermon's a little disjointed because I have so many ideas about it, it was really hard to nail down. So just a couple ideas here is, first off, you need to think of the church how you think of being a part of a family. First off, you live in the same household as your family, okay? I'm not saying go find someone in the church and move in with them, uh, but I am saying you should live close enough to him that you can see him daily if you wanted to. The scripture also refers to, to us as citizens, right? And if you're a citizen of a place, you were probably born there and you probably live there. Right? Anvesh moved to the, to the States to do school and then he met Deanna and he married her and he didn't say, oh cool, I got a wife, an American wife. He's He's like, I want to live in America, so I'm going to become a U.S. citizen. And that was hard, and it was difficult, but he wanted to be a citizen of the place he lived. And in a lot of places, you have to be. You can't be someplace very long unless you're a citizen of that place. And the same goes for a household, right? You aren't going to bring a stranger into your home and let him live with you 18 years as a stranger. Maybe you let a sojourner, a person, pass through for a week or a few days, maybe even a year. But the people who live with you 18 years are probably your children. You live with the people you're family with. And so you should live close to your church. You should go to a local church. It's so hard to do family if you have to drive an hour to drop off a a cup of sugar, or whatever, right? If you need to borrow something, you know, um, I've done this several times since living close to a bunch of people in our church. You go out for a walk, stop by their house, and they invite you in for dinner. You can't just take a stroll uh, to the person in your church that lives an hour away by car. You miss those those opportunities, those chances. Someone's in an emergency. Their car's broken down. They need to borrow your car. It's really hard to do if they're two hours away. That's just a practical thing about the church as a family is you live close together. And blood. This is another thing. Again, it goes back to this idea of the same mission. Like, our life is in our blood. You, Whoever's in your family is someone you share your blood with, your DNA, the thing that makes you up. And if you're a Christian, your blood is Christ's blood. And so you should have more in common with your brothers and sisters in Christ than what political party you're part of. You should want to spend more time with your your brothers and sisters in the church than you want to with uh, your bingo group. (laughs) I don't know. What do people do with their time? Huh? Maybe they're, the same. Maybe they're the same. Hopefully they're the same. The people that are in your bingo group are in your church, hopefully. <laughs> Let's play bingo later. I don't know. But we're about to go do this church picnic. Um, I'd rather do this picnic than a picnic with strangers. You know, I'm a part of a Facebook group that's for a hiking group. And uh, they do hiking they get together in the hall, hike together. I don't do that because I'm always busy hiking with people in my church. I'd rather hike with those people. Right? I'd rather I'd rather spend time with the people I share my blood with that understand what it means that Christ laid down his life for me. Because that's changed my whole life. And if I can't relate to to someone in that way, it's like super strange. Like, what am I supposed to talk to this person about? I can do small talk for a little while, but if I can't relate to them on the level of, our lives have been changed, how cool is that? You know, no one, again, I have four brothers and sisters. We get together all the time, uh, even if it's been months since we've seen each other. When we get together, we have all these inside jokes, and, and no one can make a joke like, you know, remember when mom and dad did this or whatever. Uh, you can't make that joke with someone you're, you met at work. Like if you went to them and been like, yeah, like aren't all of our dads like this? They're probably going to say, no, my dad wasn't like your dad. <laughs> right? That's, you can't relate to someone who doesn't share your blood, who shares your experiences. Not as well as you can with your brothers and sisters. So you should spend time with those who share such an important thing. That's who you should be spending your time with. It's, that's more important. I'd rather hang out with someone 10 years older than me that's a Christian than someone my same age that isn't a Christian. And it's not to say you can't hang out with, you know, unbelievers or whatever, that we go out, we evangelize, but who I'm going to like, my best, the guys that are standing next to me at my wedding are the ones I share this important thing with. Those are the guys who understand my decisions and get me, who are going to challenge me to love my wife because they know why I love her. So the question is, what role do you play in the church, right? If we're thinking about a family, are you a baby Christian, right, whose most important job, uh, a baby's most important job is to grow and be healthy, to grow, right? Right? Um, if you watch a baby, their whole life revolves around it, eating and sleeping. That's growing. That's what they're doing. And it's hard work. And they need all their, their time and attention to do that job. And if you're a baby Christian, you need to focus on growing. It's going to be really important because once you're of working age, uh, if you're underdeveloped, it's going to be hard for you if you didn't spend that time growing growing consuming God's word the pure spiritual milk that will grow you up into salvation you know if you're an older believer who's supposed to be like a parent take people through through bible studies help them grow teach show them the books they should be reading if you're a grandparent someone who's in you know in the sunset of their life <laughs> Support people who are going through. You know, being a parent is really hard. You know, this is something I've seen in my life. My older siblings are parents, and my my parents who are now grandparents grandparents of nine, eight, nine, one on the way. Uh, they have supported my siblings through this parenting thing so much. Let me bring you a meal. Let me tell you, you'll get through it. We survived the long nights. You can too. So again, this is a role that changes. No one goes through the life. Hopefully, I, I heard it this way if you're not changing if your role's not changing as you go through through your Christian walk, that's weird. It's as weird as seeing a grown man in a kiddie pool by himself. We have a lot of that in the church. We have a lot of grown men sitting in a kiddie pool. That's weird, it's gross, it's unnatural, it's not right. We need to play our parts. We need to, if you're a baby Christian, you need to focus on growing. That's important. If you're, you know, you've, you've been through that stage and you're getting to the point where you can take on more responsibility, you need to help baby Christians grow you need to to serve your elders right your grandparents in the church love on them gather their wisdom gather what they have for you you know and if you're a grandparent in the church give out that wisdom teach teach through your through your heart what you've experienced but nothing's grosser than a fully grown adult baby. It's not natural. We can't even picture that in our minds because it's not natural. So what is your role? Let's think about that, figure it out. And then the last thing is, uh, the question is, is your natural family broken? I was gonna say, well, even if it's not, here, here, and here, but then I rethought it and it was like, well, everybody's natural family's broken in some way, right? Your parents are missing something that they weren't able to give you. Your siblings were missing something that they weren't able to give you. You were missing opportunities that you need to to be able to give to others. And in that thought, the church is where those those misses get fulfilled where those empty spots are filled. The church is where the brokenness becomes whole. The church is where God doesn't just heal our families, he multiplies our families. Mark 10:30 speaking about family Actually, can we go back to verse 29 through 30, please? Mark 10:29 through 30 says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, Sisters, mothers, children, and lands. When I, my family lives in Columbus, so they're about an hour and a half away. Most of my brothers and sisters and my parents. And I came to Dayton, and I met my wife here. I joined this church and became a part of this church family. And now I live here. Because this is where my family is. And because of that, I've missed a couple birthdays here or there. I've missed some family things. My family's had meals where everyone was there except me. I've missed some things. But I have gained a hundredfold those meals. And that's what we're here to celebrate today as a family. At this church picnic, um, if we talk about communion, Luke twenty-two, fourteen through fifteen says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. So as we come to the the table today to take our communion, and then we are going to baptize three people. They're going to join the family. And as we go to our picnic and we all get our food and sit down together, um, we're going to be I'm eager to eat this meal with you guys. Um, Meals in my household uh, was where those inside jokes were earned. It's where we spoke about our day, what had happened with us. It's where life happened and the family was known to each other. That's why we have a meal every Sunday after church. I've learned more about the people in this church Sunday afternoons than any other time. Eating meals with people. So as we we come to the table, as we we baptize three people today, and uh, we share in this picnic, don't hesitate to do life with people. Be family with them. share your share your mission with them share your heart with them so let's come to the table